Here is a reminder from the American Medical Association. Games, games. Here's some games. Games that want to get out. See? More games. Don't pour sulfuric acid on your genitals. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I didn't actually are. I'm a graduate of Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time this I see This is the Nerd Words Podcast. You guys care to comment? You mean like buying some? On utilitymuffinlabs.com. Hey, welcome to Nerd Words. I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today we're going to talk about a multitude of topics, a variety of different things. Some of them a virtual cornucopia. That you can pick from. So uh, today, in our other podcast, we are going to discuss the first edition, second edition, Nosferatu clan book. Uh, and I figured a good way to start this podcast would be to discuss our experiences with that particular clan of Nosferatu. For those of you that listen, that don't listen to our other podcast, For Shame, you should. For shame. You should. <laughs> but... Um, a little background about us, if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably understand we've been playing Vampire the Masquerade for a number of years. We have a wealth of experience playing this game, both in tabletop and live action, and with that comes stories, trials and tribulations. Stories? How about how about encountering people who don't play that try to get a hold of you? You know, if you're, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you meet no. people for the first time, and uh-huh. we've got, I know we've done it. We've gone to a barbecue, and we've got to hang out. And, you know, you understand, Nate is the type of guy who has, like, he still rocks a mohawk. It's a, it's a minor one, but it's there, you know, and he's got the gauges in his ear, and he wears tats. And I do. Got- I work for a very liberal company that allows me to express myself both physically and verbally uh, and to me, some degree. And me, I just psych you out. Like, I could wear a sports shirt or some jeans and flip it around. I got my skulls and my T-shirts and whatever, just depending. And you never know how really to take that scenario. But like Bob looks more like an adult. <laughs> Uh, he dresses more like an adult would dress, you know, you, and, uh, you know, not too, not too fancy, but also not too shabby, you know, a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. You, you could fit into any crowd. I blend in. When I walk into the room, you well, pretty much know, <laughs> you pretty much know, like uh, he's a weird guy. Are you in your twenties? Nope. Definitely not. Almost 40. Screw you for judging me. But once you get past that shell, which very rarely happens at parties and gatherings, right? Normally people look at you as you is and they won't even talk to you if they don't have to. Well, once the conversation, once they do, or usually it's us approaching other people. Hey, man, what's up? You know, blah, blah, blah. Get past all the rigmarole and they're going to ask you, what are you guys into? Right. And we are unabashed, unashamed. There is, there's no shame in it. You know, it's like going, what are we into? What are we not into, man? It's like the only thing to be about is fucking. We love Vampire the Masquerade, horror films. Like I have, I have a couched response that generalizes it and lets them pick what they may be into. To discuss further, right? Usually for me, it's like uh, when somebody asks, "Hey, what are you into?" I'll tell them, "Oh, you know, I'm a gamer. I like uh, music." And they're like, "Oh yeah, what kind of games do you play?" And you know, I'll be like, eh, "Role playing games, video games." Most people still the general public, they understand gamer now. They understand it insofar as like most people play video games, like it's a huge right. industry. And they go, oh, like what like what kind of video games do you play? Well, I'll be like, uh, you know, whatever. But like I play tabletop games too. And they're like, oh, like D&D? And I'm like, yeah, but not not really like that game. Other games, oh, I've, I've heard of that. What's that like? And then, Always. And then, you know, you'd be like, well, you know, I play like some supernatural games. Uh, I play a game called Vampire the Masquerade. And they're like, oh, what's that? 
And then you have to tell them. And it used to be like back in the 90s, you really were like, ah, let's not get into this because this is going to turn into a weird conversation and it's going <laughs> to get into like uh, ideology and, you know, like, OK, let's just move on. But like, Do you now, know what you're doing to Jesus when you tell people like, yeah, I'm a tabletop gamer. Or if you tell people I'm a LARPer, it's like they go, oh, shit, you do that. Right. I've I heard of that. Right. So I actually had to come out the other day at work. I, this exact scenario, we have like these powwows, right? Yep. And they're like, all right, like, what do you do in your spare time? And, you know, I'm, I tell them, like, I do podcasting. And, uh, you know, and invariably people are like, well, what are your, what's your podcast about? And I'm like, well, I've got like two or three. And one of them just like general nerd stuff, i.e. this one. And then we do another one where we like review every single book that's been released by this game company. And uh, we do like reviews, uh, you know. And, and they're like, oh, what's that? And I'm like, well, it's Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. So just to let you know, like we do tabletop, but I also LARP. Right. And they're like, what? What? What's that? What, what's that like? Oh, my God. When you tell people that you LARP, you still there's still you go where you want. There's still some stigma to that. But I feel like most people now, they're just really curious. They just want to know what it's like, like what kind of person does that? It's like a stifling, right? And what I mean by that is a lot of people feel kind of trapped and even in their own hobbies and are looking to step into something new. And LARP is something new. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's definitely the deep end. And that's where you go to. But back to this here Nosferatu business. Yeah. So we're talking about the Nosferatu. And I want to I want to hear from you where you've gotten your inspiration for some of the dastardly disturbing things you've done playing the Nosferatu clan. Do you have a specific? Because, I mean, that's that's kind of the deep end. One of the first experiences I ever had LARPing was playing a Nosferatu. And the reason why I chose to play a Nosferatu was because I, I identify with the concept of feeling like an outsider among outsiders. Do you know what I mean? I do. Like the Nosferatu are way more twisted and disturbing and disgusting than all of the other Nosferatu clan or all, all the other vampire clans in the game. And so I was like, Hey, this sounds like a really cool concept. Like I'm this individual that lurks in the shadows and gathers information and wears the twisted mentality of, of, of myself on the outside. Right. And playing in games that you've run, uh, I've gotten a real key idea of like how disgusting and disturbing that that clan can be, <laughs> especially playing games that uh, reside in Chicago, um, playing with like characters like Calhoun and, and you know, th those types of things like where where's like some of the inspiration for shit that you've done or shit that you've lured players into? I feel I should explain because it's really for a lot of the locally anyway for Illinois, the most popular character to talk about is Calhoun in his own right, like the idea behind it. And it's really simple. I didn't make Kedrick Calhoun. I also didn't make Nathaniel Bordroff. By the way, they're one in the same via Dialbury. Right. So I got to explain this. So to me, when you read Nathaniel Bordroff, he is a vampire hunter that was embraced in Nosferatu. The cruelest thing that could happen to him was a rampant problem in Chicago. That's his background. And I looked at him, bland character, interesting background. Then you look at Kedrick Calhoun, who's like a tycoon wannabe Nosferatu influence player. And I said, that's boring. That's really boring. Right. Like it's just two Nosferatu, one just going to haunt some places and maybe do something. The other one does that. And I said, um, to me, if I were a vampire hunter embraced and I was a Nosferatu, that wouldn't stop me in what I do. 
And it, he's written to where it shouldn't stop him, gives the storyteller the option, but many of the storyteller would glaze over what, what White Wolf had originally written for him, and I don't blame him. And I sat back and went, you know what terrifies me? Salem's Lot. <laughs> Salem's Lot terrifies me. When you see the master vampire at Salem's Lot, YouTube it right now, people. Look up Salem's Lot. I believe even the title to the video clip they have is called The Master. And when he's introduced, he is a creepy priest with them throughout the film that clearly knows all about the master, but the master doesn't talk. Right. And no master should. His servant speaks for him, but this thing is a nightmare. He's a terror. The mannerisms, the incredible height. He always seemed taller than tall and infinitely dark. And you didn't know where he came from. And I went, mm, we're going to take from that. Let me put that in a pot. Got a vampire hunter. I'm going to put that in the plot and in, in the pot. But now what's an Osferatu? He's still got to be that. And an Osferatu lives in the Warrens, right? Right. It's a home away from the world they knew because they've been ostracized. They can't go and live amongst the mortals. Right. They're they're not that way. That's their curse. Right. And for people that don't know what like that means, the Warrens, basically the Nosferatu dwell in subterranean depths, the sewers, old cave systems, um, it, it, underground tunnels. Basically, they're so disgusting and ugly, they can't show their faces among human beings like a normal, quote-unquote, normal vampire would do. Right. So they dwell in the shadows, in the darkest places, in the most forgotten and wasteful locations, and i.e. Warrens. Right. And, and so for me, this idea of Nathaniel Bordroff encountering Keldrick, Kedrick Calhoun, I imagine them sitting like most clans do. They have a meeting, and they take the rowboat through the shit sewer, through the dark warrens to their meeting place, summon all the rats to get the info they need. In my head, this is going on. And they're sitting around the spawning pool, and here come all the roaches and the insects to feed in the blood and the muck. And here comes the one sewer gator to sit in it that defends them all. And then the clan feels whole because their whole community's here time their grievances and whatever and discuss clan business and he, here you are here you are nathaniel bordroff and you're staring at these people trying to ape who's above the beautiful ones the ones who get to get away with what they do and you don't think they're getting away with it because you exist you know they won't but you're sitting here amongst these creatures seeing that even if you handle the ones up top these scum of the earth feel that they're getting away with it they don't realize that they're they're monsters. Oh, you're monsters. You make no bones about it. But this is the things that you were hunting. And so to me, the worst of them off the bat is Kedrick Calhoun. Because this guy's collecting money. He would wear fine outfits and bowler hats and what have you. And he wasn't bothered by the muck, but the fact that he owned it. He doesn't stay in the sewers. He has a home up top in an estate he haunts. And and Nathaniel Bordroff is like, yes, you do which means you don't have protection. And sure enough, when he went up in my head, it was, it was easy. It was simple, easy as breathing. He diabolized them. He defeats them, falls them home, defeats them, stakes them. And the whole time to me in this scene, he gloated over them. He didn't just stake them. He didn't just beat them. He, you know, he had to explain to him why it would happen that, you know, at first that you thought your money would protect you when you were alive in death. You still, you know, pursued that. So greed follow you to the grave. I'm a man of God. You were already damned by that greed. Now you're a vampire and the worst of them. And look at you reflected on the outside. You still ignore it. You still wear this finery. You didn't learn your lessons. So now I'm that lesson. I'm the response to it. The final and diabolize that guy. Mm -hmm. And when he diabolized him, he became worse, right? That's as we know it. Right. His morality might have led him to it, but uh, it went horribly south once he liked it. 
Right. You know, his beast enjoyed it, the rush and everything, the memories, the ideas, the secrets he gleaned. And then that put every Nosferatu that he would ever encounter on the smorgasbord, carte blanche. And he only had one rule. If you were productive, if you were useful, you got to exist. And that's where you came in. Right. When you came in, you came with a new brood, right? Because in right. my head, there were, there were Nosferatu hiding from him. Right. In my game. And, and going through, like, playing these characters for the first time, every time we would encounter an Nosferatu, it, you know, we've we've read the clan books. <laughs> right. Right. And Nosferatu always have this air of fear because the strong belief, especially in that first run of the clan book, they talk about the Niktuku about these ancient, uh, horribly twisted, defiled monsters that they're no longer vampires anymore. They're monsters. Exactly. And they hunt down, quote unquote, Nosferatu's line to kill them off because the belief perception is once we kill off all of the children, Cain will lift that curse from us. And that's kind of like an old wives tale. Right. You know, it's like a, it's like Krampus. Like if you're good, Santa <laughs> will come. If you're bad, Krampus will come. Because you don't know if it's real. Because right. there's still Nosferatu right. around. Right. Exactly. So, so the concept of like fear and hiding that's not out of the realm of that's not out of our wheelhouse. But when we encounter Nosferatu and they're like, I gotta go, and you should too. We need to get the fuck out of Dodge. <laughs> and we're like, why? Who who cares? The particular scene I remember the first time you encounter a Nos like that. It was the girl in the book again, Tammy Walensky. <laughs> And she had a friend I made, and her, her friend was Sarah, if you remember. Mm -hmm. Sarah Tammy had made, and that was her buddy. And Sarah was was an abused child, horrible background. Um, we're talking sexual abuse. And she was trapped in a system. And Tammy saw it, and Tammy decided to take care of Sarah, giving her blood, whatever. But she frenzied. Right. Tammy doesn't like feeding on people, and she's a humane vampire. And as that gets less and less a problem, you become more monstrous. And Sarah, she, she fed on when she was starving and instead of killing her embraced her and brought her down below and she brought him to the current primogen which was calhoun mm -hmm. but when she brought her to calhoun calhoun said this and i quote oh is that for me <laughs> right <laughs> and tammy and tammy freaked out she freaked out like no you can't and ran and she was looking for the former primogen which was Khalid. now Khalid was this almost was sailed meaning he lost all vestiges of humanity nosferatu elder who has moments where when he frenzies, you can only take care of him. Nothing can stop him. You got to hope he regains his senses and then take care of the damage. Right. That's it. So Kala was going further and further into the deep and the Warren specifically because he's his, I won't give his background, but he's, he was very devout. Right. And so he's trying not to be around those things and get him the frenzy. So Tammy fled for Khaled and she runs across Nate, his new character, and what was known collectively in the game as the brood which was other players. And the players, I got to say, were heartwarming. I don't think you guys could be Nosferatu when you ran across Tammy and Sarah. It wasn't the same. They were telling you how they're being chased. Someone wants to hurt them. Right. And I heard players say, we're going to kill them. Right. Whoever it was, whoever it is, we're going to fuck them up. It's done. And then Tammy's like, no, you can't say those things because he'll find you. And, you know, you can't even trust that I'm me. I, I'm me, aren't I? And then you guys were so sweet. All of you were just like, like me as a storyteller, I was doing a beautiful job and I knew I was because you guys were like hook, line and sinker. I'm taking care of these kids. And I knew in the back of my head, Calhoun doesn't joke. Right. He doesn't kid. And his promises are life bonding. So the first thing I did was of course with Calhoun, he ate Sarah. 
Right. That was the first thing he did. He found her and he ate her. And Tammy was horrified because she went into a fugue state, right? Mm-hmm. That's when she was just wandering about and sitting still and not doing anything. And Calhoun got a kick out of it. He just let her do that. Because what would happen is a member of your brood would come and take care of her. He would find that brood member and would talk to him as a primogen unless they messed up mm-hmm. or had no information for him and thus were useless. Right. Then he, <laughs> right. Then he would attack him. <laughs> and so, but that's really the origins of Calhoun. And it's like where it seems simple, that's where it goes. I guess you're trapped in my own psyche in me as if I were that. And I do this a lot. Right. When I make a good villain. I imagine the darker aspects of myself. Right. Because as any storytelling knows, every good NPC you have has something of you in them. Right. And, and the thing, too, that, that always draw me, drew me as a player into, like, these these sessions, these odd scenes, these weird occurrences. And the game in general, the game that we played together, uh, it was always that I felt like there were things going on when I wasn't there. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing more disconcerting when you play a game than walking into a scenario, and I, I use walking in the figurative sense, like you're obviously not going to walk into it, but like, imagine you walk into a scenario and you feel like it just populated in the world. Right. Like nothing's been going on, but always it felt like there was stuff going on behind the scenes that I hadn't seen, that I wasn't privy to, and the true horror of it was going, what if what if the information I've gathered is real and what if it is misdirection? What if it is falsehoods? Right. Because you, when you create a, a world for players to come and enjoy, you want to create a rich world. And some people have a talent for that where they can, they can sort of work out the math of the world in their head. Some people don't have a talent for that, but that's where you can kind of devise like, okay, this is a really good storyteller because their world is going on in their head. Their characters are off doing things and all of these actions are creating reactions and they're changing things in the world. And it doesn't just seem like it's a static scenario. Like it's just created for me to figure out it's a world I exist in. It's going to go on whether I'm here or not. And that's what the real world is. The real world is constantly going on and growing and falling and decaying. I've always felt that if you're, if you're truly a good role player, a good storyteller, you always understand this In the real world, it sucks being left out. Everybody hates being left out. Everyone detests going to work when they know something cool is going on because someone's got a day off and they want to go do that cool thing, but can't responsibility is what it called. What it's called, sacrifice is what it's called. I call it soul deadening, but that's okay. <laughs> that's that's what happens. So in game, of course, of course it goes on. How does it not? But when it comes to the Nosferatu clan in general, mm-hmm. to you know, it wasn't just Calhoun. Every time I do Nosferatu clan, it depends on the city. I feel the city speaks how the Nosferatu is going to be first, because from the city come the victims that will populate the Nosferatu clan. Right. And the origins of the city have to be known. And I find that Chicago is a city of dark secrets, of betrayal, of uh, honor, sense of loyalty. Uh, but you can't have betrayal without a sense of loyalty and honor, right? Right. Someone's got to be the rub, right? That's right. how it goes. And that's that's really it. And it's a city of revolution, too. And I think that's important yes. to note that this city is what it is today because of a constant state of, of revolt of the working class of the from a game perspective of the neonates of the anarchs it's it's constant turmoil it's what grew this city 
And it, it's really interesting, too, when you look at Chicago from an Osferatu perspective, just as like a cute little side note. Chicago was one of the first cities with an actual sewer system, right? And to give you an idea of what went into creating this sewer system, you know, most of the time when you plot out a city, you're going to plot that out first. Well, that's not what happened in Chicago. In Chicago, they built the city and just shit in the lake. Right. Or just shit on the floor. So when they built this massive sewer system, they literally had to come in and raise all of the buildings. So think about it from a, like a Nosferatu perspective. These Nosferatu, in some way, shape, or form, help to influence having access to everything. Right. And they did that by literally lifting up the world above them and creating a subterranean world below. That That's the the truth of the matter. Like, like skyscrapers, well, I don't think it really had skies, but like huge, giant buildings, 10 floors, 12 floors. These scientists, these uh, architects had to come in and jack those buildings up off the ground so they could build a sewer system beneath them. And it's a common it's a common thing, right, for cities. I mean, Seattle had the same similar story. Right. They had to do the same thing, and they were had an ocean of problems, <laughs> mm-hmm. pun intended. So, yeah, absolutely. So in, the, in, in that perspective, taking in exactly what you said in the – so I would say that's the hardest part. You have to research that, right, to know right. that. I think if you're just playing Nosferatu to say, here they are, you're kind of missing out. Right. Because to know that there are massive drainage tunnels or that they had projects they abandoned but left these huge um, concrete-made uh, tubes just lying around, right. they would have been used by the Nosferatu. Why would they leave them there? Right. There's always a purpose. It's a great haven. Right. Pick one, pick a spot, right? Build it on your own. And you let your imagination flow of how that might look. And about, I, like, becomes cool for me when I when I read about the Nosferatu, like yeah, we, you have that visual representation of their disgusting nature, right? But to me, what I read between those lines and even sometimes overtly stated, the worst things happen in the darkest places. Yeah, and th- these creatures they don't have the moral boundaries of people who walk among the living. All right. Well, we're recording again. No rap. So we were going on a roll, having a good old conversation right here. And um, we should we had, keep doing it. We had some technical difficulties, but uh, we're going to move right along into the, the worst experiences we've ever had storytelling. Uh, I'm going to let you in a little bit on behind the scenes here. We had like 40 minutes of conversation that just doesn't exist anymore (laughs) because computer problems you know so anyways we're gonna move on from there and we're just gonna talk about some of the some of the bad experiences we've had storytelling games or uh worst experiences we've had i mean even as players in games but uh i think uh for me one of the worst experiences i ever had storytelling a game had nothing to do with the players it's had to do with poor staff and uh, mm. the the worst experience I ever had storytelling was when uh, it was a year you decided to uh, take a back seat, be a player for once. Yeah. We were we were gaming, uh, we were running a game at Gen Con. Gen Con, and the organization that we were involved in There's such a, a wow. <laughs> <laughs> just wow there's a lot there's a lot so th- this is a year that uh, i decided hey you know what i've never played a game that took place in ireland 
it'd be really good to work within those confines and create a decent story. And for those of you that have attended a, a convention game or an org game, you'll know that there's a lot of different cooks that go into the pot to make this stew. And why? To give you an idea, in a weekend, your first night you'll get about 70 players. Your second night you have about 200. Third and fourth night you're pushing 350 plus. Yeah, so you're dealing with a lot of players. And basically, when you take on a task of storytelling a game for a convention, you're working within four nights and or three nights, depending on the convention that you go to. Sometimes it's two nights. Either way, you basically have to spend the entire year working out plots, working out character concepts, because most of the time you're creating characters for all the players that show up. So you have to have... 90 plus players for your genre so here's the uniqueness of it you don't have that comfort of the other 50 percent the players bring of making up the background and character that they're going to portray to allow you to data mine and make a creative story you have to do all of it right every bit so basically our experiences at gen con we'd gone for a number of years and we played under a group uh, a game organization called dark dualities and they did a pretty solid job uh, well we were players with them first right, right, so right. like for four we, years we never we never story told under dark dualities at least right. i never did but we played in their games and their I games did. Story I, yeah, I, I never play, I never story told them. Story, I was, your story, but yep. Right. I I just uh, I just was a, a player, um, and then they decided to call it quits. Uh, all things come to an end. People have lives. They can't dedicate the time to to doing this. And so another group, which I will not name because I feel like that would be rude, but uh, another group took over their <laughs> their spot essentially, and the original people that were in Dark Dualities they all quit. And for the most part, you really even see them at the convention anymore. They just said, screw it, we're done. Peace, have a nice life. Not only did they say, screw it, you're done, they took who they decided to let run the show, kind of carry, you know, to who they passed the torch to. At the very least, we can call the most inept member on their staff. Yeah. And I, I believe that this guy was in charge of like some menial task. I really want to edit that out. I, I'm not going to say that is a guy who had little to no experience. In dealing with people socially and a conflict resolution, which you're going to have. Right. If multiple people on staff, they're going to have to make decisions. Right. And opinions have to be heard. Didn't know how to do that. Right. Didn't know how to lead that. And he didn't know about the, the game that they were running and didn't care to. He and, just wanted to have his name attached. Right. To and in, in all honesty about this scenario, this particular individual essentially created a, a, a new organization and... That was basically where his responsibilities ended. He had no participation in creating plot points or creating the game or working on character sheets. Essentially, from what I understood, all he did was he communicated with Gen Con, with the convention. Uh, An email at best. Right. And uh, appropriated our space for the game. That was basically, from from my understanding, that was his only input. But because it was his organization, he was the boss. From having done it for another game entirely, I've because uh, after this experience we're talking about, we're kind of getting to, um, there's another organization that wanted to set up a simple tabletop time slot. They wanted uh, four different two-hour time slots to run a game. Right. I was able to email them at Gen Con. I'm already there. 
to see if they had any available spots. They were incredibly polite, very hospitable because it was storytelling, because they were already registered. I was able to do it for this guy who basically his staff of four quit on him. Right. And he was still trying to run it for the people he had already sold tickets for. And I got on the time slot inside of a two and a half hour window. They got back to me. I showed it to him. He had it. Day was saved. But we were told a song and a dance just how difficult it was to get an email correspondence yeah. and, and sign up and be timely. And it was a loaded. It was wrong. So essentially, essentially, the year before, Bob and I had both participated in the storytelling staff. And we knew going in, it was a very difficult process. And it wasn't because the story setup or the character creation or any of that was difficult or even the logistics was difficult. It was difficult because of the people that were on the staff. Most of the people had cursory knowledge of the genres that they understood so basically we broke it down into like werewolf vampire mage fey these are your genres right so you have basically linchpins on staff that are in charge of those different genres then you have people that work with them to iron out whatever other details narrators etc so this this year bob decides he wants to be a player so cool I, I'm still interested in, in participating and doing some storytelling. So we bring on another friend of ours. Uh, and uh, he's actually been on this podcast a bunch of times. We're talking about Chance. And he may have even mentioned this before. But for a year, we are trying to iron out all of the details. And for me, the most important thing is to remain consistent with what this game is presenting. We want to keep the plot ideas consistent with what White Wolf has presented. We want it to be realistic. We want the... the You have to. Right. It's an expectation. It's your brand. It's your image at that point. We want to avoid things that are ridiculous, that are over the top, that are silly, that don't fit in with what this company has presented as a game. Silly has a place, but we can agree that this game is not that. If you're talking about Ireland, vampires, history, cross-genre, game faces on. Yeah. So dealing with these people... Uh, over the course of a year was trying at best, but, uh, <laughs> we get down to the day. Now I've, I've fought tooth and nail to keep things consistent. Like this is what we want to do. This is where we want the story to go. These are things we don't want to happen. We don't want cyborg robots to come and kill all the vampires. We don't want, uh, just silly shit like that. Like that I use it as, a, as an example because, spoiler alert, that's what ended up happening. And on a number of occasions, I had specifically said, like, I will be in charge of this. This cannot happen. This will not happen. This will not be acceptable. And uh, we get to we get to the game. We start working it out. You know, we're doing everything that we can. And a part of running a game at a convention is talking to new players explaining to them what would be interesting about playing the game and helping them to get involved because you're going to get a lot of people who are at a convention and they go, Oh, I've never played this game. Now's a perfect opportunity. I'd love to try it out. What can you tell me about this game? So you have to sit down, have conversations with people. You have to, the easiest conversations ever. Right. They're the coolest conversations ever because you get to meet new people to bring them in and Anything you're passionate about and somebody wants to hear you and they're just they're just begging you to tell them, hey, man, give me a, give me an idea about a window in your world. 
you can, anybody can talk about that. It's just one of the to me. It's one of the sweeter moments in life. Right. It doesn't have to be about game about anything in your life. It's always good that someone tries to mutually reach you on that level. Right. And, and the the important thing to remember is this isn't like a home game. People just come play for free, do what they want, go home. You're asking people to pay you money to play in this game, and for a LARP, if you pay Bob me Bob Batten, you pay me money for a game. This includes donations for what we're going for. Uh, on our website, you don't get a game. You have respond like we have a responsibility to you as a player, and that responsibility is to present you with what we've promised. And what we've promised is a representation of a game that's been released to the public. There is there should not be an expectation that you're going to go to a game and it's going to be ridiculous. And we use the term wonky and silly and goofy. We use those terms so you understand that there are a lot of people who feel ah, it's a game. My real life's going to come first. Doesn't matter. And you fail to realize you were impact. People came to me every single Saturday, still do every single Saturday for entertainment. They're giving me hours of their life. Right. With the promise that I can entertain them. Right. That's free. As right. for, for now, it's free. As I'm being told by a lot of people world over, you should get paid for that. But uh, the fact is, is that I'm trying to be greedy with it because when I look at it, they're right. Right. They're right. There's an expectation. Right. I have a responsibility to be entertaining or to fold up shop. Right. It's that simple. And uh, so uh, g- getting back to this year long process of setting this up, it is a constant uphill battle with people that don't have a clear understanding of the game that they're representing. They don't have a clear understanding of how to tell a story, how to compel people, how to be entertaining. Right. Because here's the thing. When people get on a staff like that, not only from what I saw from what I understand, you said player perspective. Mm hmm. It did me a lot of good to see it from that side as well, because um, I got to see how much ego they were running with. These are players who didn't get to play the Prince or didn't get to play the Primogen or Head Mage or what have you that now can. And they are. And they feel that people come to play the game for them to bully. (laughs) Right. and, And they don't break character. In other words, it's them on staff. They're that way. And that's how they treat people out right. of game. They're that way in game. And you can tell how the in game out of game blurred for them. And they, they just don't get how sad that is because to everybody else, it's, we're all friends here, man. This is a positive thing. Why do you feel the need to Lord anything over anyone? Right. So the first experience that I can say that was a trying experience, definitely a trying experience. So to give you a visual idea of, of it's chance and I sitting at a, a table and we're sitting at a table outside of a room uh, and it's a big like ballroom and inside the ballroom, all the people are playing right now. It's just people role playing their characters, getting to know who they are, getting to know who the other players are going through those motions. So we have the opportunity to sit behind a desk, hand out characters, talk to players, do some, like, you know, some uh, some people work, basically. <laughs> and we have a young lady that comes up, and it's the exact scenario that I described. Uh, she was unsure of the game. She'd heard about it. She didn't know, you know, anything about the game or how to play it. And so we're talking to her, discussing with her, okay, this is this is how you play it. You know, this is this is you know, what are you interested in? Now he set it up to save himself. I'm gonna give you the outside perspective. I'm playing the prince, if I'm correct. It was yeah. Donal O'Connor, yeah. was it? And I'm putting on my Irish accent, which is terrible. I think we all can agree. And I'm sitting there, I'm I'm looking, I'm observing, and I'm checking things out, and I'm noticing how this girl is just eating out of Nathan's hand. She can't stop looking at him. And then you have Chance who's kinda kinda there, not there, but he's married. So he's trying to be aloof. But point being, 
they were just really being nice guys on staff. And yes, she was attractive. What I'm pointing out is if you're an attractive woman and you're talking to guys, in particular gamer guys, jealousy's in the room. It's in the room. It doesn't matter what your intentions are. Everyone knows this. Those two guys are talking to the hot chick in the room, and none of them are. Right. And uh, so in, in this, in this like, uh, entryway where we're sitting is one other person. But the point was that you could see it. It was on people's faces, and you were kind of like, you know, to me, I was like, cool, man. New girls coming to game. Great. We're having right. it. Now, I can tell you honestly, from my perspective, the scenario was this is a new player. We're here to teach this person. We're, we're basically, we're selling her on the game. Yeah, absolutely. We want her to spend her money with us. And outside in this hallway is one other person. <laughs> and this person is uh, also a female and uh, really has no concept of how to run the game, has no idea of, of what, what goes into running this game. And uh, her job is to handle influence, right? And this is someone we don't get along with, uh, Chance and I. We don't get along with this person. We never have every Skype uh, conversation we've had every google hangouts conversation we've had uh she just doesn't like us but to paint it why you don't get along with her well she doesn't care to do her job right she's not there she she doesn't she's not passionate about it she doesn't want to do it she's there because her boyfriend's doing it and she just sort of found her niche that she says okay i'll fine i'll do this much now i don't know how happy anybody listening would be if, if your girlfriend or boyfriend is into a hobby and they take you along and you act like they're dragging you along, you're going to create problems in your relationship. The point is, is for you to enjoy and what they're enjoying. At least try. Right. This was her try, apparently. And what she would do is, is she would get herself full of, of lewds and then she would go in public and she would sit and try to represent this team. Now, I know about this because, like I said, I used to I was a player this year, but I still knew everybody who was doing it and I'm observing this woman give new players a hard time and just crap on current players who are there because she's high. She's out of her mind. And I knew Nate knew it cause I told mm-hmm. him immediately and I knew chance knew it and I want, I wanted her gone. Right. You know, she's in violation of the damn rule book for responsive, but she can't be here. Right. Uh, sorry, but continue. But, uh, we don't, we don't know why she's, she's clearly on drugs. We don't know why she's on drugs. But anyways, not a very nice person. We don't get along with her. She doesn't treat people well. We don't think anything of it. That's our that's the beginning of our game. We move on. Later on in the day, we get the what we call a hit mark, right? So for a year, I've been talking about how it's okay that we have mage in this game. I have no problem with mage. What we want to avoid. We can set this a little better. So a little better is set it up as a player. So the scene is as a player. I'm I'm the prince and the bruja came and I'm a bruja prince and they're like, oh prince, you got to know that there's something something about these weird mage guys that's going on. They say they have a problem. We can handle it, whatever. And I told him point blank in character. I'm like, I don't, I don't care what the problem is. I want this to, to to quell, put it to bed. We got people to we got to worry about and blah 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 masquerade. So they go to what the scene's supposed to be as a warehouse where this mage is, and they're opening up crates because the mages are looking for some artifact or some villain who's going to use this artifact, but they don't tell the 11 Bruja beatdown squad, and we all know what that is, that go there because the Bruja and me, I'm a Bruja, every damn player walking in wanted to play a Bruja, and that's only because, you know, I'm, I'm loud, I play the character, that's, that's what I did, right. and nothing wrong with it, but these people were wanting to prove they were worth something, and 
I'm standing watching it occur. Nate comes over to, um, I think just to hear, I don't know if you I was just narrating. I was just kind of like hanging out watching the scene. So, but this guy who's another narrator for Mage. Right. Um, decides to walk in and we didn't know why he was even there. No, no, we had no idea. We knew a mage was involved, but the player said, he even told us out of game, there's nothing here. I already checked with my guy, but let's do the scene because Nate thinks there's a scene here and Nate definitely had something planned. So everybody gets in the room and Nate. Well, I'm, I'm standing there and when I'm, when I'm storytelling, I, I like to watch the scene, see what's going on, see, you know, pick up on cues and we're having a, basically a political Elysium. Right. Everybody's just role playing, and uh, this dude comes in and he starts basically shouting like, uh, "Time stop!" Da 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 da, and starts describing like a fucking cyborg <laughs> climbing out of the water because we're like we're like on a shore basically yep. in like a in like a nice house out on the shore, and just starts describing like this. They, they like I said, they call him hit marks. Well, the hit mark jumped out of the crate. Oh, that was the dude who comes up like Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator style mm-hmm. and had the Gatling gun arm. Right. Right. And then there was the uh, Ed 209 came out of the water. Right. And I lost my shit. Folks, we're talking Nate came unglued. I came fucking unglued. It was totally unprofessional. You couldn't hear him down the hall, but if you were right there, you didn't want to be that guy who just brought this up. It was so bad. I came over, knew, I knew I was a player and I was like, you know, you can't, you can't do, sorry. (laughs) Hope that's not in there, but. I had to call it out. I had to tell them, okay, guys, here for a minute. There's a time stop. You know, we're sorry about this. This wasn't intent. Let them hash out what's going on. I'm certain there's a reason there's some some miscommunication. Let's right. just be cool about it. Now, my normal reaction as a storyteller, when something uh, foul gets brought up in a game, typically I'll keep it, you know, keep it to myself, go over to the narrator or whatever, the offender, and, you know, just tell them, like, hey, can we talk on the side for a minute? Like, or, hey, can I talk to you? Maybe with some urgency. But I was like, oh, fuck no. Right. No. Whatever you're doing right now, stop fucking talking. And why? Nate's an artist. At her, I, I am too. You know, when you're writing material and you entrust this material and you promise people this material and folks are enjoying the, the stuff you've built, you don't want their immersion to be shattered. Oh, yeah. And cyborgs and, and worse shatter that. It's like if you were watching The Matrix, right? And in the middle of like Neo learning that he has Kung Fu, the Care Bears showed up and started Care Bear staring him and shooting rainbows at him. Exactly. It just shattered the whole entire play. Right. <laughs> and, and people were upset. I mean, we're talking players were customers. They were pissed off and they weren't mad at Nate. In fact, it went from Nate being mad at this guy to a crowd being mad at the other staff. Now, a very ugly scenario. I remind you, I had spent a full year going, one thing I never want to see is this. And the reason why I had, I had said that over the course of a year is because this was a pattern. This was a pattern. At these games, there were like five mage players, right? That's really the abundance that you ever got. And they would grow every year, 10, 20. But basically at this time, there was a handful of mage players. And I'm all about... Play your mage game. I definitely understand. And occasionally, perhaps our sauces will mix on the plate. And that's okay. But when you're like, I'm going to take the biggest, baddest thing I can think of, and I'm going to throw it at the vampire players for no fucking reason, I was like, no, we're done. We're done, dude. And basically, I had to stop, drag the entire fucking staff out, and and be like, we talked about this. This is not cool. 
What is the reasoning behind this? Huh. Well, so-and-so did this. Okay, how does that impact, how, how does that in any way cause this to occur? Well, this, da, 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 da. you're making that shit up. So I explained to you who ran this organization, because mm-hmm. reference back how he's here. He was there watching what happened. Never interrupted, never went in nope. to explain to his customers what's going on. Never told Nate, stop what you're doing. <laughs> Let's step out in the hall. You two come with me, narrative right. folks. Give us a minute, please. He didn't step in to do what a leader should. He didn't step in to do what a manager should. He didn't step in to do what an owner would do for his business that is representing him. Even when he got out in the hall, he was in the room asking me what he should do. Point blank. <laughs> Bob, how should I go out there and handle it? I don't know how to handle this scene. What went on? And I just stared at him. And I was like, I paid you my money right <laughs> to be here you that that's on you right and he's like oh well he's just not calming down should he calm down i've i've been privy to a year's worth of you guys giving promises and they were all broken right here and then you're breaking them now and you're still not out there handling it and you know this guy guy aaron i mean sorry um he he had upset and then he went out there to try to take control of the scene and i heard pretty much the gist of it was it didn't get resolved. It was just like, cool, take your scene back, whatever. Yeah, the, literally, it was just, it was like redacted. And I was like, th- this is the worst fucking thing that you could ever have in a game. Because not only have you completely taken your entire player base out of the game, there was a knockdown, drag out outburst. And you're just like, eh, it just didn't happen. So now you have people like in the middle of their game, immersed in this role playing game, playing these characters, completely disrupted. And you're like, well, fuck it. Just don't do that. And so the moral of the story is that conventions, they, they all have this. Right. Like, this isn't unique. When you go to a convention, you're dealing with a staff of people who said, yeah, I want to do it. I like the game. I got ideas. Everybody has ideas from all walks of life. But if, again, this refers back to uh, how, how someone manages their team. If your team is not getting along, you should be able to know that from far away. Right. And make decisions, you know, sometimes they got to be promoted to customer as it were. Sometimes you keep them around for that opposite opinion, but they get, there's a line, right? None of that was done that I understand, man. And that's super frustrating. So that, that was, that was part a, so now to re uh, address where we were at the beginning, the next day. So every day at the beginning of the, before the game starts, we'd sit down with the staff over food or whatever, and we'd talk about what happened the previous day, talk about how we're going to move forward. So this person that I talked about that was in the hallway with us while we're talking to this new player, she comes over to us and she begins to tell us that we need to watch how we talk to people and that, um, you know, the way that we were treating this young lady, uh, you know, a lot of people had complained that they viewed it as like sexual harassment. Now, I want to address this specifically. This was a player. This was someone coming to us to learn how to play the game. The The conversation we had with her was no different than any other conversation that we had had. And the only person that was privy to this interaction was the woman in, in context of what we're talking about. And I said, okay, well, who came to you? And she's like, well, you know, just people might misconstrue. And I said, okay, did, did she come to you and, and complain? Like, what was her complaint specifically? Because at this point, I'm like, what did I do? What did I do that would be out of line? Right. And she's like, oh, no, she didn't come and complain. And I was like, okay, so who? So she didn't come and complain that we had, like, done something wrong. No. Okay, so other people did? Well, other people could. Okay, so what did you see that you thought was incorrect and it was the two of us and like we've and she had nothing 
So we have this person that's working against us and like trying to cause us problems. Just poison us. Right. Just a poisonous and, and, person. You know, we sat down and I was like, this this isn't gonna work. Like I'm not gonna work with this team again next year. I have people on this staff that don't know a fucking thing about this game. And you have you have to understand something about me. I'm an aggressive person. I'm an overt person <laughs> when I feel like I've been wronged. If shit's going great. You won't hear anything out of me. I'm quiet. Sit back. Cool. Let's let stuff roll. The drunk uncle. But when stuff is bad, I'm the worst. And, you know, I had to lay it down. I was like, you know, you person that owns the game, you, you've done nothing. You've done no assistance. You have all these people that don't understand their genres. You, you have one person that knows it. And that's the Fae. And I don't know if they know it, but everybody seems happy. Everybody's everybody's having a good time. If the fair happy wearing glitter wings and showing up with blue paint on, I guess they're having a good right. time. It's a game I don't play. I've never played it. I don't know anything about it, and it doesn't interest me. But the people that are playing it are having a ball. Yep. And that's what I'm concerned with. And now you know, and I'm like, and you have these people that that are working under me that are not doing what I've instructed them to do. That are going out and 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 you know causing all these problems. And you have these people that are on staff that are taking money that represent your company that are accusing your storytellers of harassment by no prompting of the person that that we supposedly harassed Which, by the way as a follow-up the girl who didn't show up told me the outburst that nate was involved in um she's one of the people that agreed with it and that's the reason she didn't come back the remaining nights she did show up the next year uh but then had a she signed up for true dungeon if you know anything about gen con getting into true dungeon probably even to this very year you're on a list of, of, of incalculable length. Right. And when it's your time, you will skip everything to go to it. Her time slot for True Dungeon, I think it's a three-hour window, went over the course of the event for it's, the next two days. It's really difficult to get into. So she didn't show up. But she wasn't upset at all. And then, you know, I straight up asked her, you know, what was her opinion of it? And she gave it and said, you know, it just seems like there's a lot going on. I didn't know. It seems like the game would be a lot of fun. You know, I like Nate. She, even, she said specifically Nate and Chance were great. Introduced me to game. She even bought the book, you know, to do it. But she didn't want to come back to that right that and who would right and and this is a game that we're talking about the people that are playing are paying 10 or 15 dollars per night to play in this game that's that's a sizable amount of money to invest into a game where you have a terrible staff where you have a handful three or four people who have any concept of what's going on or how to run this game and the rest are just a shit show they're <laughs> just your shitty friends who have always been terrible at at running the game and so that was probably the worst experience I ever had. Luckily, within the next year or two, that group folded, as you would expect it to, because they, I don't know if they if they legitimately folded, but there was all kinds of other shit going on in the background, because someone's making money somewhere, right? Someone owns a business, and they're making money. We figured it out. I don't know if I want to air this publicly, just how much we were taking for a ride, <clears throat> uh, but I did it for five years, being on staff for Gen Con, trusting people. And the workload I took on, I did the job of eight people consistently for five years without fail. Right. And I did it because of the passion I had for this game. And I understood in everybody's experiences I am. Don't have access to the books. Those were things told to me. I took them at face value. You saw me do this, right. Nate. And you were even on staff with me two of the years yep. for it. And you go through all that effort and you do it. My only focus is the people that show up because that is my name. That is on this. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't say this to be arrogant, but if you're good at something, if you're good, you know you're good, then you want people to enjoy what you're good at. And that's the difference. You don't want them to come and tell you you're good. You want them to come and have a good time. 
So I don't care if I have seven of the shittiest people behind me. I handled a hundred plus people on my own. I handled it. Right. And, but every time my friends who came with me to Gen Con saw that they wouldn't see me at lunch or they wouldn't see me at breakfast and I'm there three, four hours early and I'm there doing stuff and I'm there critiquing and coaching and critiquing and coaching the staff I have, getting them prepared, telling them to take it serious, telling them what to avoid. And you do all that for love of the game. Right. And if you're not that way, then you were in the wrong business. So I guess what I'm saying is, if I had you, Nate, and then another five people like you, we'd rock Gen Con. <laughs> right, absolutely. Is what would happen, but we, we've never been able to find that mix. On a lighter note, uh-huh. this is when we're players going to Gen Con. This is what got us lit to go, right? So our first experience at Gen Con, we all get up there and decide we're going to be Sabat. And we all did the typical, right? You find the biggest hotel room you can rent that's nearest the site. Yep. Because you want to avoid all the walking around. Because you're going to walk around all day, so you yep. don't want to have to go far at the end of the night. And so we get there downtown Indiana. We f- picked the spots, the Marriott, uh, the one with the train is all I always knew that because that's the one with the pool. That's what was important to me. So we picked this big hotel room. You know, most of us good at nailing that down. And like eight of us decide we're going to throw in this hotel to make it affordable. Yeah. And we decided if they bitch, we'll sleep in shifts. Remember that? Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, kudos to Indiana. Uh, kudos to Indianapolis because they don't. Don't at all. No. Super polite. Everybody's super polite. I love that about that place. And and the businesses got into it. Yeah. Like it's the first time I think we ever ate a wizard burger. <laughs> Remember that place? <laughs> Whatever, like you can get yourself a fireball drink and don't forget to wave your wand and get your yeah, extra. It, it is definitely a really uh they they do they do a good job to ingratiate they themselves do it up. to the players. They do it up to the gamers. And that's and it's immersion, right? It's enjoying what you have and hey, welcome, you're cool here. And I loved it. But at this Gen Con, we get there. It's our first. We're wide, doe-eyed, and awesome. We get out there, and we get into some Cthulhu tabletop and learn from, like, we were all told, very country bumpkin if you've never been to Gen Con. I like saying that because you, you're you believing any story that gets thrown at you. And we were said Gen Con is where the masters go. <laughs> Worldwide, that is the convention to go to if you're anybody. Right. You, and if you could storytell at Gen Con, you are fucking elite. That's the goal. Right. So immediately, I remember telling Nate and Melissa, I will storytell Gen Con. I will be there one day. And, you know, they were like, cool. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. you're good. You should do it. All right. So you already heard the tales of where I did it. But anyway, so right. we, clearly you don't have to be that elite. So I'm just saying. <laughs> no, you but, don't. <laughs> Having we, a little bit of money helps. So we're in this cool hotel. It's got the pool. We're all chilling and swimming. And, you know, we go to the bazaar and they have all these vendors. You're checking out all the stuff to immerse yourself in. I think 30% of my books were bought <laughs> at that convention. And because uh, always the new releases are there. And uh, first fun part is that we go to the Conan, the Barbarian booth when they're announcing the age of Conan. Mm-hmm. And I'm by that booth. I'm a huge Robert E. Howard fan, right? And we get there, and it's like Conan, this huge statue. I'm like, yes, I am all that is man. And then there's this statue, right? I'm just being goofy. But they had these smoking hot models that were there promoting the game and landed me in hot water. So I, I could look at the Conan booth um, when I went to the bathroom. <laughs> so I would I would say ate something funny. Sorry, babe, my stomach's messed up. She goes, oh, you know, I got that look. And she's like, well, baby, I'm going to be right here, and I'll wait for you. I was like, Okay, well, all right. And I would go the opposite end, like I didn't know where the bathroom was. I would sneak through the bazaar, knowing where she was. I'd be in the Conan booth. <laughs> and, and I'm like checking out the Conan booth, and these girls are walking over. You like Conan, huh? And I was like, don't touch me, woman. You know, and she's like, oh, haha, you're funny. You're playing to the role. I was like, I am bonding 
with Conan. <laughs> I am here in the world, all right? Hyboria does not have time for you. Are you in danger? No. <laughs> then away with you. You know? And this girl was laughing and cool, and she's like, well, what are you into? We're kind of bored. And I was like, oh, well, allow me to put on the cap. I'm here to play Vampire the Masquerade. Have you ever heard of it? No, not at all. And her and her friend and three or four of the girls come over, and suddenly my radar is going off. And my radar is going off because my buddy Adam, he's like, B, B. I'm like, what the? And I look over, and he, he like, thumbing over and melissa's looking around looking at stuff she sees the booth and the girls are around me like it went from uh -huh. being four or five girls promoting this huge area for the conan video game to chat with the dude who's pretty cool to talk to and i'm like oh shit um yeah okay so vampire the masquerade is a great game check it out it's about improvisational acting you're already dressed up for a character if you don't mind dressing up for a character go ahead and stop by here we'll be here and here and here and you guys got a free ticket for the first night so you can come check it out make a character i'll help you no problem there you go uh, i gotta go gotta go gotta go and girl's like, oh, so this one girl goes, where's your girlfriend at again? She looked pretty mad that I talked to you earlier. Yeah, she's still pretty pissed. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> over here right now. So they let me out the back flap. You know, they literally go, we go out that way. So you can go that. Oh, cool. I go out that way, go to the bathroom. <laughs> Saved, right? Like a Conan caliber escape, by the way. I felt great about that. So I come back. And I'm like, cool. So that's our experience at Gen Con. Like everything is coming up roses, right? It's just a fun time. Um we get to the game and this is when dark duality runs it and they gave him a venue that i am jealous of the hotel they're at they had full access to all five ballrooms yeah they had the whole outside atrium area they also had the downstairs lobby area but we had to be separate from the guests if there were guests down there using the, the furniture we had to leave them alone but that's where the primogen sat and talked the bar area all ours i was like how did they do this yeah you know, they just had this massive area. We come to find out one of them works on the staff, the staffing half and housing for Gen Con. That's how they got such sweet venues. But we didn't care. While we're here, this is a game of 70 of the most passionate people I've seen about LARP, honestly, to date. They were all packed in, dressed to the nines. And my whole crew's like, Sabat, mm -hmm. we're going to play Sabat. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's be Sabat. Um, we get to the storyteller, can't play Sabat, at least not all of you. <laughs> all right, well, then who's playing Sabat? So Nate gets it, Melissa gets it, and uh, one of our buddies who came with us, Chris, uh, I won't say his last name, but Chris gets it real quiet. They all get the character. They look at me, and they're like, what are you going to play? So I was going to play Sabat. <laughs> I'm going to play Sabat, my friends. I'm paying you. They're like, we can't. All right, fine. Dumb play this here, Bruja. And Adam's like, yeah, I too will play this here, Bruja. <laughs> and they're like, well, you guys don't have to play Bruja. You know, now nah, we're good. Deuces. And they walk away. And then we learn that the Bruja are capped. We have to come back. We're like, oh, okay, fine. So we grab, we go back to there and tell them the situation. The staff's like, we messed up. I tell you what, how about you play this Nosferatu and you play this Nosferatu? Okay. Well, my Nosferatu's name is Monster. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, well, this ought to be inter entertaining. And uh, so he gets one, too. And, and Monster will just say is interesting. He feeds on children. Um, great. I don't know how to exactly play this guy. And I'm unhinged by description. It also says I'm a deviant. So I'm trying to digest all this. And they don't give me a background other than what he told me. I feed on kids. I'm an oddball. And by an oddball, I do the creepiest thing imaginable, but not in a disgusting way. So I'm apparently a horror show. Right. Right? The other guy, and oh, and I'm the sheriff, by the way. That was the other kick <laughs> in the ball. So you're the sheriff, too. I was like, what? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was the primogen. The sheriff was Adam. 
And Adam was just as sick. And by the way, my buddy. <laughs> like, the characters were buddies and written that way. Right. We were like, all right. So we go around and we decide that we're going to be hanging out in this big old ballroom for a gigantic city meeting. And while we're in the city meeting, there was this guy we called Pavarotti, just out of character. Uh, because this guy had a voice that I, th- I think he could sing opera. He might even had sing opera. Right. But he's he's a big dude, like Pavarotti, you know, but he's dressed to the nines. Like, that's this cool 1950s Capone outfit, pristine white, looks grand. He's the Tordor Primogen. And how he introduces himself to us is walking to the room, he's like, oh, it's you. I was looking for my bitches. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he goes, ah, just, it's great to meet you. Yes, just don't touch me. Don't shake my hand. You're Nosferatu. Get over there. Yeah, all right, cool. You know, we walk by. and It's like, what a schmuck. And then we hear him, like, about like, 60 people get piled in this room, plus Prince up, up at top. And in walks the Tortor clan, fashionably late, smoking hot guys and girls. And he's like, ah, my sweet bitches, get over here. And he pulls <laughs> them all to him in grand fashion. And he's sitting around. They're harpy. I couldn't get over it. I'm talking with Adam. And this woman came over and just started grilling Nosferatu because she's supposed to. She's a Giovanni, mm-hmm. Harpy. And she's just grilling into us about you you need to your decor and blah 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 and being real snooty. And I and honestly it was my problem. I keep staring at her and I deliberately am drinking water to drool out the corner of my lip. <laughs> I'm a Nas, I'm a monster, and I'm trying to play bestial. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at her without blinking as much as possible, which is hard. And I'm half crouched on this chair in the corner, and I'm just staring her down. And here's why. She's wearing a skin-tight outfit. Traction doesn't matter. She's, in, she's meat. I'm getting in that mode. The more attractive a person is to me sexually must mean my beast wants to eat them. <laughs> That's the goal. So I'm playing to this. Adam goes from being this character who's like, yeah, monster's cool, man. But I just got to, you know. He's literally like, look, man, not here. <laughs> like not not here you know just just calm it down and i'm like monster like i just keep looking and he's like nah man monster likes to chew on kids Listen, i just shoot a look at him he's like or oh, right now monster like okay cool so he's trying to be my face trying right. to tell them he's in a mo he's in a mood just right here this woman starts going around talking and like ripping on other people and all of a sudden i just go beef curtains <sighs> What the fuck? <laughs> so this woman's wearing a cat suit and the asshole I am at like, we were like eight, what, 1920, whatever it was when we first went and she was being, I only got, it really bothered me that she was calling us oafish and idiots because we weren't dressed to the nines like everybody else. Right. We dressed for character and her idea of role playing her character is just to be a shithead. I can't let that go, but I'm not exactly playing the social character to enjoy this. So me and Adam get this little tidbit, and for now, for the first introductions, we let we meet everybody. We leave for the first night, night two. When we get there, night two, Adam comes up with the idea that we're gonna play. He gives Monster a role. Says we're gonna be Bruja. We're infiltrating the Bruja. Be a Bruja. Mm-hmm. So we come back to the game, and we're now I'm sociable, talking and whatever, because he's promised me an orphanage when we're done. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, Monster be good. So we're we're now out here, and the whole time Adam's trying to finagle people to tell him where our local orphanage is. He wants to donate things like that. And then people are a little hip to him. I don't know if they had stuff in their sheet, but they're like, yeah, we don't know. If, there's no <laughs> move on. So, but we're Bruja though. And you know, we're mask, mask with thousand faces, look wherever you want. We get to this next city meeting where we're supposed to watch the Torter perform on stage. And here's this harpy. We come walk into the room. This time we're dressed hip hop. Adam's got the hoodie on with the head up. He's like, yo man, what's going on, son? And I got my pants dragging a little bit. And I was like, what's up, kid? <laughs> Who are you? 
you know, doing this, you know, the, the stereotypical shit. And she comes walking back in. I was like, hey, oh, man, it's beef curtains, man. <laughs> so Adam's like, what? He's like, who do you? And, and everyone's looking at us like, who are these people? It's like, yo, man, it's beef curtains. And she's in the corner. We just, start, we won't let it go. Sure enough, the outfit she's wearing that night, she needed to put on something a little less revealing. I will say this. I felt horrible. Like, we're calling her that, but we didn't know that she could see certain definition you shouldn't be able to. Like, it called a wardrobe malfunction, if you will, or right. she knew it was trying to be, I don't know. But we were relentless. And after the fact, having matured here in my 30s, I, I'm a little embarrassed that I did this a little bit, but it was it was a lot of fun. I will say that. Because <laughs> we're in the room, and of course, the bruja get involved. The bruja are like, yo, man, sit right here. You know, bring us over. Right. And there's like 15 bruja, and they're laughing their ass off. And the Tortor Primogen's getting pissed. He's like, you need to shut up. And he's shouting at us. He's going at it. And it just turned into a rabble-rousing room of just arguments until the Sabbat arrive. When the Sabbat get there, they're my friends. It's Nate, it's Melissa, it's Chris. I think Josh was with us that year, too. Hey, now you're relevant. Yeah, because one of those was. years. Why I say irrelevant? Because that wasn't the focus. You and Melissa enjoy painting on yourselves and being in character. When we do Sabbat, we do it right. When you came in, Melissa had this fly-ass dragon on the right side of her face that she, I think you hand-painted yeah. on her, and but she drew Sabbat symbols, warrior tribal symbols on you up and down your arms and shit. And when you came in, you had this walk-slash-lope that let everybody know that you're used to being bigger. You played to the room as if you're bigger than you are. Right. And then Melissa's is a meese, and she saunters in wearing a, uh, a combat boots, that were, you know, laces were loose as hell. And then she had the, it looked like she had literally ate a hobo in the alleyway <laughs> that might have been a former vet, except it didn't matter because she was sexy enough to pull off the look. But then it was terrifying because there was no smiles in her face. There was right. no staring wantingly. She stared at who? The prince. And she literally, the only time she talked, it was to the prince and it was to tell him, your city is over and I will be eating you later. It was a promise given. And everybody was like, we're going to, you son of a, we're up in arms. And the prince just held up her hit her hand, I believe it was a girl that year, and was like, not here. So if I remember correctly, that year, the game took place in Vancouver. Yes. And the prince had disappeared. And the person that was sitting in for the prince was a woman. And I believe she yep. was an actress. That's right. She was hired. Right. That's right. She, she, hadn't, she didn't play the game. She was like an actual hired actress. So she was basically given a role to play. And she did amazing. She was awesome. She did amazing. And the prince, because the prince stared down the sabbat, and no one really knows exactly what's there because Nate was working the room. And I got to tell you, man, it was prime caliber material because the knocks that we are, I'm playing monster. I'm like, oh, I like them. You know, just like, <laughs> oh, what's going on? And uh, the Bruja were like, we're going to fuck you up, man. <laughs> and and uh, I remember Collier, uh, Chris turning around. He's like going, ain't nothing between you and me but space and opportunity. <laughs> Just, But this dude's skinny, maybe. Right, if he's lucky right. and it rained, he's 105. Right. But now he's in this dark outfit and he's La Sombra and he rocked that charisma, shocking the shit out of me. I didn't know he had it in him. And then Nate is just Nate. Like, not Nate is it, but Nate as you expect. He's playing a monstrous... I think that you you were Zemis with her. Yes, I was. I played uh, I played uh, a twice, two years in a row. That year, I was the dude who had a buttload of thaumaturgy and a buttload of vicissitude. Right. I, I don't know why, but and it's, I remember and it's a bot storyteller who didn't know them. Right. It was like a nightmare thing if you're on staff and some of the players know it more than you. 
but I enjoyed it thoroughly because of that social scene alone and it sticks out in my head. You're thinking it's supposed to be bad storytelling things or interpretation. Here's why it's bad. The storytellers did not know how to handle that scene. Nobody on staff knew how to do the resolution. The Sabat came to war. The cam wanted to kill him. Right. And the storytellers outside stalled for time to the promised post. Right. And then what they did was they're like, okay, guys, stop scene, post. Everybody was like, no way. What's going to happen? What's the outcome? And, and Nate and Melissa just pretty much break down. Oh, we had a guy outside who was going to park a car on the door. So you couldn't get out, and he was going to engulf the room oh, in flames. Yeah. So, and she was going to turn into a pool of blood, yeah. squeeze out the cracks of the floor. Right. And then Chris was going to turn into shadow, go outside, and through the windows, use shadows to yank people in the flames. And I was like, and everyone's like, but that would have killed us. And I was like, yeah, folks, we're dead. Right. That was the point. We're, we're dead. <laughs> they came here to play. Yeah. So they're, they're, uh, the last night of the game, they're, the prince uh, Siegfried had returned and revealed himself. And his first act of... Uh, being prince again was to have us blood hunted. Now, to give people an understanding of why, why would the Sabbat even be on like a, an Elysium or be interacting with the Camarilla like this? Well, because in the canon of the game, Vancouver is a neutral city, right? And so Vancouver was a place where Sabbat, Camarilla, Anarch, and Kanu, whoever could come and exist without fear of retribution for their political beliefs. That was until Siegfried disappeared. And when Siegfried disappeared, the Camarilla was like, well, fuck the spot. Let's get rid of him. And fuck the city. Let's take over. So we were like, yeah, okay, well, we're here. and We're going to declare war. Go fuck yourself. And so the last day, should have just gotten to a head. And we walk in. Siegfried's like, I am prince. And my first act of prince is to blood hunt the Sabbat that's in this city. And I was like, I'll have a mass mental versus physical. I'm going to engulf the room. And uh, then That's they were right. like, post. And I was like, oh. That oh. meeting outside was a hot one. Yeah. Just wish you would they, not hot because they were upset. They were hot because the staff was rooting for the Sabbat. But they knew that they were going to be stuck for the next four hours hashing out chops. Yep. Just doing rock, paper, scissors. Like, nah. When we had like the worst Sabbat storyteller in the history of gaming. That dude was terrible. He basically, he was on staff because he made a really powerful Asambra. And he, like, it was basically his show. Like, he was like, this is, it's all about my character. And we were like, we don't care about that at all. We don't care about your lame character. We're going to do our own things. So that was the one where we went into a bar and we were jumped by a bar full of ghouls. Yeah. Like the entire nightclub was what it was, was ghouls. And he's dealing with like really experienced LARP players who not only understand their role, but also know all of their powers and how they work. And he was lacking in that position. He didn't really understand the powers or how like the LARP rules worked. It was insane. He was just a friend to somebody and they put him, they gave him Sabat and they were like, yeah, you do your thing. And so basically he's the spot storytellers spent his entire three days trying to figure out ways to kill us only to be thwarted at every turn because we're fucking experienced players. Now shipping gears, I promise to tell you, um, you said we're storytelling or player moments, right? Yeah. So the worst human being I'm basically I'm going to make this pod where I tell you just how bad I am. So I already ridiculed some woman for a wardrobe mouth. Oh, are you going to talk about this? So is this what I think you're going to talk about? It, it depends. Does it does it have to do with this? Yes, it does. Oh, yes, I don't know does. if you should even tell that. Yes, it does. I that may I change. That may change your entire. I it may. You I may mean, lose I, an entire fan base. I may win some friends. I don't know, but I I'm, I feel that my rep can take the blow for what it is. I'm a big enough person I can omit, omit to it. So, um, 
we're at a live action game here locally, Riverwalk, and a good populous game. I'd say around 50 people and, you know, up and down the Riverwalk, everyone's role playing. And I forget even what I was playing other than that I'm the one who's playing this. It was a Bruhoff some type. And uh, I'm up here and this guy's walking around with his girlfriend who's apparently blind. I don't mean she might be blind. She is blind. Not the blind flaw. Can't see. Ray Charles blind. Right? That's what I'm putting down. Stevie Wonder blind. Right? So, um, bat blind. Okay, I'll move on. So, he comes up. She's on his arm, you know, and they're they're having a chat. And he's like, oh, you're so-and-so Bruja. And we're doing the who are you's and how's it going. And out of nowhere, he starts getting real aggressive with this conversation. Even she's being a little abrasive and i was like i'll just beat the shit out of you both right here and call the night and he says out of game he goes you're, you're gonna attack us she's blind i was like ah oh, don't worry about it rock paper scissors don't worry about it we're good he goes all right fine so i was like okay cool they're like we're both gonna jump you no problem he declares the mass challenge i was like cool so i go through it normally because you do rock paper scissors where everybody can see it rock beats paper right scissors or excuse me rock beats scissors paper gets beat by Rock, ah, rock, paper, scissors. So there's paper beats rock, rock beats scissors. You get the drill. Now that I spit that out correctly. And what happens is he makes the critical error of deciding he doesn't know one of his powers. He says, Bob, do you mind if she sits here with you? And I go look it up. I was like, cool. Do you want us to hold off the scene? He says, no, you guys go ahead because all I'm really doing was like, you won the drag gaze. I'm going to see if you have to leave anyway. I was like, I know I don't, but go ahead and knock yourself out. He goes away. Let's establish real quick how long ago this was. Just so we can say how much you've grown. 2000? Yeah. So so this was nearly 20 years ago. So it was a while. Continue. So what happens is <laughs> she leaves and I'm sitting there. And uh, one of our other friends who came here was Ryan. Uh, our, good old, our, our friend Ryan. Mm-hmm. And Ryan had played a gangrel. And he and I both were kind of being hunted by the city. I get caught by these two. I didn't know we were both hunted. But I did see Ryan get jumped by 15 players. You know, not not actually, but rock, paper, scissors surrounding right, right. beat down squad. And it was at the far end, about a quarter mile away. So where I'm at, I'm like, cool, I got this girl. She's in the way. I was like, listen, do we need to wait from the convention? She goes, no, we could do it. I was like, all right. So she's like, oh, well, what are you going to do? It's like, well, I'm going to stake you in the heart. She goes, we know I'm a Tremere. I was like, yeah, I brought two stakes. She's like, did you really? And I was like, yeah, I got the item cards right here. By the way, folks, I had no item cards <laughs> at all. <laughs> You're supposed to have two item cards for the challenge. That makes me a horrible human being right there. Right. (laughs) And I said, oh, you know, I'm brutal enough to stake you. And we go through the chops. Instead of me making the sound of my fist hitting my hand, you know, to signify that I'm throwing, that they asked, I'm, that's me slapping my leg. (laughs) And no matter what she threw up, I said she lost. (laughs) To be polite, I had me lose once or twice, so I had to retest. To give her a feel that she was going to win. Right, because if you're going to cheat somebody, you actually have to make it somewhat believable. I, I, I was I was not a jerk. I was at least good enough to leave a plausible that I tried. So I did it, and oh man, I win all three chops to stake her. That was the rule of the game. And there she is staked, lo and behold. And then she goes, oh, just give me the item card. I was like, okay. So I gave her a business card I got. And I was like, there it is. They wrote it on that. She goes, oh, okay. And I, I walked off. She was staked. His character is technically still standing there, but he'd already stated he wouldn't attack me anyway, even if I attacked her. I don't know what their character was, but that, that's what occurred. He said he'd move in if I went to kill her. So I staked her and moved on. 
I'm a terrible person, right? <laughs> this girl came you for are. a fair shake in game, and I completely robbed her. Right, you sense. you took advantage of someone that's handicapped. And I want to say I only did it once. <laughs> Good old Melissa reminded me it was twice. She did that about, oh, about almost six months ago when we brought up the whole blind thing. Uh, her and Dom were talking. We were at a party. And she goes, you actually did that twice. It's like, what was, what was the second time? She goes, at Gen Con, there was a blind guy. And the blind guy came and his wife, same setup. And at Gen Con, I was a player, but immediately this dude, this he was he was a dick. I don't care if he was blind. He was a jerk. Like he's there, his wife is doing all this stuff to take care of him, and he's acting like, Well, you have to do this, not will you do it? There's no please in his voice. Like he'd done it so long, he just expects her to. And this woman looks strained. Like she's here, she didn't know LARP, doesn't know how he knew. I didn't even know Vampire came in Braille. But, you know, here he is, right? And I'm like, cool. I try explaining the rules to him. He's very terse and just just like an angry, pissy, blind person. And I'm like, all right. I know how this goes. And, I, and I'm there with Melissa. And she's like, all right, I'm going to go over here and role play. This guy tells me, he goes, I'm sick of listening to your character. I'm going to dread gaze him away. So you're gone now. I was like, nah, man, we got to do chops for that. <laughs> Folks, we know what I did. Do I have to say it again? You know exactly what I did. I, 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 uh, here's the shitty thing. His wife went with it. <laughs> That's the shitty thing. I was like, oh man, you lost again. I didn't give him a retest. You didn't get that. Not that Dana's son. Cause I was like, you'd be a jerk to this poor woman. You can go to the hotel room early with no supper or whatever the hell happens to you. So it's kind of rude. No, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't, blind, I don't hate you and I wouldn't cheat you to cheat you. No, I don't take glee in, in your cheating of uh, visually impaired people. I just take glee in you retelling the story. Um, I never, I never took advantage of any handicapped people. Um, I don't have that in me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I don't even care. So I think with that story, we should probably wrap up this podcast. Um, I have to I do a, more. I have to do a number of things. Well, we'll hold them for a different day. I, I, th I think an hour of this conversation and also the fact that our previous conversation was cut short. Because truth be told, we've been talking for like two and a half hours. We don't want to bring it up again. Right. I left some gems. No, we, we did. We, but but now we can rehash them at a later date. There and and well, it's not it like we repeated ourselves. It's a blessing. Yeah. Got it. yeah, yeah. It's got to turn lemons into lemonade, right? Yep. All righty. Well, thank you folks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our revealing tales uh, of the terrible things that we've done and had done to us. <laughs> there will be more at a different opportunity. Thank you for listening. As always, I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And I love blind people. <laughs> well, we'll talk to you later. All right. Bloodless.